Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And my name is Stephanie, and in this episode, we will be discussing the ninth episode of the third season of Orphan Black, Insolvent Phantom of Tomorrow. Sounds like a James Bond film a little bit, don't you think? It kind of does, now that you mention it. (laughs) Spectre, or whatever the... What's what's the name of it? Spectre, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Quantum of Solace. Exactly. Insolvent Phantom of Tomorrow. Dun 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 dun. It works. It totally works. <laughs> that was excellent, Chris. Thank you. I've been perfecting it for many years. So there will be some spoilers for that episode. There will be all spoilers for that episode, Insolvent Phantom of Tomorrow, but there will be no spoilers for the season finale, because next week is the season finale. Holy cow. I know. I'm both alarmed and relieved. It always goes so fast. <laughs> it does. So let's let's start off talking about Mrs. S, who is truly an international badass, and also Sarah and Felix, <laughs> budding international badasses. <laughs> but Mrs. S now has been has has displayed badassery in three countries this season. So yes, truly an international badass this season. Because we start off, we're in London. Last week we were wondering, so they're probably going to go to London, right? That's what it sounded like. And then this episode opens up, bam, London. London. And as a follow-up from our short episode, Chris looked it up, and apparently a flight from Toronto to London takes about eight hours. Yeah, it so, was listed at like seven hours and 37 minutes. So Yeah. So while it's it's not impossible that they could have gotten to London that quickly, they really, they really hoofed it to the airport and got on a plane. Yep. Quick turnaround. They mm-hmm. must have paid a fortune for their airfare. Because you think about it, there's also the time difference. So I'm still trying to rationalize how it was still kind of light out when they got there. Anyway, we won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> if they flew overnight and they got there and it maybe was, I don't know. I don't know. London, I think, is seven hours ahead of Central Time. So it'd be about six hours ahead of Toronto time. Anyway, let's not think about it. They went to London. There were some nice exterior shots. There was a pub and singing. Yay for singing. How excited are we about the singing? Pretty excited. I like that we're getting to see a different facet of Mrs. S. She's not just all polishing Kalashnikovs and hiding from everybody. She she has a softer side, a passion that she pursued in her youth. Yes, and she's got an old band, incidentally, with Maria Doyle Kennedy's actual husband. Was he one of the men up on the stage with her? He was. When they okay. they introduced, you know, the three guys walked in, he was the mm-hmm. guy on the left. Okay, I'll have to go back and see. Looking at it, he's on the left. Kieran. She even says something about Kieran, and his name is Kieran Kennedy. Aww. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. But we didn't get a re- reappearance of Carlton, even though he went to London. Apparently he's still, you know... Drinking around Toronto. But we got Terry, an old friend instead, and and bad things happened to poor Terry. I do feel really bad for Terry, but the thing is, like, why does Terry know Ferdinand? We never got an answer to that, did we? No. It just sounds like here's here's what I have pieced together just for my sanity in my head. Yes. Let's hear your head cannon. Sounds like Topside slash Dyad became interested in Siobhan Sadler because of her connection to Sarah. Understandable. And so they sought out people who had connections to Siobhan Sadler. Ah. Uh-huh. And found Terry. And sounds like maybe they've been trying to blackmail him into providing them information or maybe, yeah, that, that seemed more like strong arming than anything else. I mean, granted what happened, obviously, but before they had to get violent, it sounded like there was a it didn't sound like they were, he was pay, he was being paid for information because he did said he didn't give anything to them so that's my head canon is that they found terry maybe he's it seems like he's maybe got a criminal past maybe they're blackmailing him like they thought they were blackmailing paul something of the sort hmm sounds valid so that's my thought 
Okay. We'll we'll go with that until we know otherwise. Thank you. But yeah, poor Terry. That was pretty brutal. I couldn't look at him. That was some brutal makeup on that guy. It was it was good makeup. Like it was oh, yeah. it was really hard to look at. Yes, it was extremely difficult to look at. But then once again we've got Sarah charging headfirst into danger because it is a day that ends in Y. She and Helena both <laughs> displaying the <laughs> their tendency toward impulsive potentially reckless or no just reckless actions <laughs> not potentially they're just reckless yeah i mean it, it often feels like a calculated recklessness but it's pretty reckless still mm -hmm. yeah or at least maybe more with helena than sarah at this point which again what <laughs> yeah we got an email from tom and in it he mentioned how it was very convenient that sarah spotted his phone on the floor and that would i don't feel like that's a Oh, how convenient. They they need a way to move along the plot. And it makes sense to me that given the situation that Sarah would have been looking around potentially for clues. Right. So the fact that she spotted the cell phone didn't seem terribly convenient to me. How about you? No, I agree. I I, I buy that, you know. Obviously there there was the big fight, so it's not unlikely that his phone would fly out of his hand or his pocket or whatever it was. Actually I think he's yeah. on the phone at the time that he sees the other guys, so yeah. Yeah, and they established that he dropped the phone. Like, there's a shot of the phone in the foreground and him in the background, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because Mrs. S calls him back. Mm -hmm. And the phone rings, but it's on silent, so nobody even knows Here's it's it. ringing. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and, and they show Sarah and Felix sort of looking around the apartment anyway, earlier to get something to stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I mean, we've seen the, the clones be pretty observant in the past, too, so... Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't feel off to me, I should say. No, no. I was glad to have been proven wrong, but once they hooked up with that, the guy in the taxi cab who turned out to be, who knew Siobhan and was like Terry's contact, I was certain he was going to end up being somebody they couldn't trust. And I was thinking, Sarah, why are you trusting this guy? Why are you trusting this guy? But apparently he was okay, and poor guy got his throat slashed for his problems, for his troubles. Oh, that was, yeah. Like, you knew what was going to happen, pretty much, especially as soon as Ferdinand shows up, because that dude's trouble. But mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I like the fact that that guy, even though they had the, the encounter with him, and he was, he, he seemed like he was going to be a threat. And then Sarah was all like, no, we belong to Mrs. S. I kind of like that line. We belong yeah. to Siobhan. Yeah, I liked that line, too. Like I mentioned in our short episode, it was it was just so nice to really see Mrs. S and Sarah and Felix get to be a little family unit in yep. this episode. We just we haven't seen that much of it over the seasons because Mrs. S and Sarah have been at such odds. But like, what a weird family vacation. I know, right? We're going overseas to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mom. But let's stop in a pub and have a little sing along. <laughs> Then we'll go visit an old friend as he's tied to a chair after being tortured for information. <laughs> Worst family first, vacation I, ever. <laughs> at first, I gotta say, I was confused as to why Mrs. S said that she needed to kill the caster clone. Because her, her reasoning was that, well, I guess I'm still confused because she says they're, they're sterilizing women. We have to do something. But the thing that's sterilizing women is the defect, which is in all of the existing caster clones. So how does killing the original uh, help with that situation? I think what Mrs. S is thinking was, because I, I had some trouble with this too. After okay. thinking about it, here's what conclusion I've come to. They, were, they had that conversation last week about how the caster boys are mayflies. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're they're all going to die out soon. Right. And so the reason they want the original is to fix this defect so that they can stay alive longer. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that was her concern. It's if we kill off the original, it puts an end to this whole thing. Because, the, I mean, the, there was talk about two, or at least with the Lita clones, they couldn't make more without the original source material. Mm-hmm. And the synthetic sequences, yeah. 
Yes, that's true. So I think Mrs. S was just trying to put an end to the whole thing because she was thinking that as long as we stop them from fixing this, they're all going to die out and it won't be a problem anymore. But I guess I'm thinking that they still have, if nothing else, they still have Rudy. And if they're trying to essentially weaponize this defect that sterilizes women, couldn't they, you know, draw blood samples from him and any other caster clone that's still alive and use that for developing whatever horrible thing that they were intent to develop earlier? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can I can see the, the reasoning being that she feels like if she kills a caster original, then they cannot produce any more caster clones. Mm-hmm. So I get that understanding. But the idea that killing the caster clones somehow prevents them from sterilizing women, that just doesn't completely track for me for what we know. Yeah. I don't but know. I could, but then does Mrs. I could S just know be confused. Yeah, and she might not know all that. I could just be confused. We've we've gotten a lot of information in the past couple of episodes, so I'm I'm still a little fuzzy. Or is Mrs. S just pulling a Sarah and doing a, a sort of slightly impulsive kind of thing because she thinks it will help? <laughs> yeah, possible. Very possible. So we mentioned last week that, uh, well, especially Sarah and Felix were using their old skill set. And they're still using their old skill set because they're, what, what are they doing? They're breaking and entering. <laughs> yeah, last week it was conning poor Crystal. This week they are, they are breaking and entering. And I must say that when we had that scene where Sarah was lurking in Kendall Malone's house with the gun, I was reminded very much of the, the sequence in episode four of season one, Effects of External Conditions, where Sarah is making that long, tense walk up to Maggie Chen's apartment to confront Helena. Yep, me too. This one obviously was not as long as in- and intense as that sequence was. That's a great sequence, but it, it did remind me of it. It was like a-, a shorter callback to that moment. Right. And especially Sarah holding the gun and sort of not looking totally comfortable with it, because it's not really her thing. But no. It- but it's something she feels she needs to do. I like that she was relieved when she didn't see anybody in the bed. Mm-hmm. Like, she was prepared. She, you know, she she was willing to... I don't want to try to speak for Sarah, but I, I feel like she, she felt like she would d- try to do what she thought was best, but she didn't want to. Like, she didn't want to kill anybody, but was willing to do it if she really had to. Which I think sums up Sarah from, like, everything we've seen. Yeah. So since we're talking about Kendall Malone, shall we talk about Kendall Malone? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Stephanie is still not happy about this reveal. I'm still not happy about this reveal. M- maybe they'll change my mind, but I'm still not happy. Here's the thing, though. I don't think any of us were expecting that. Mm-hmm. So at least it's kind of got that going for it. <laughs> it does. But I guess I've said before, and it, it might... My reaction might also be colored by the fact that, and I've said this before, I've never really cared about the original. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't have a whole lot of interest in it. So the fact that there even is an original, I'm kind of like, well, eh, I don't know. And then the fact that it's not only this rare genetic condition, but also, oh, it's Mrs. S's mom. I'm like, what? That's That's a whole lot of convenient stuff going on right there. See, I'm okay with the reveal because I don't think it's going to end up being coincidence. Because we know Siobhan's friends are somehow involved in a lot of this stuff. It seems like everybody's connected in some way or another. So I think there's stuff we don't know yet. So as always, I'm kind of waiting it out. (laughs) That's fine. And I'm always open-minded about such things. I am willing to change my mind if they tie things up in a different way or they they had a direction in a story but with the reveal itself i was like what really Eh, i don't know and that's fair i mean i i get it i just am am more okay with it than you and i think a number of people (laughs) you're a lot more let's wait and see you and I, i i will also wait and see but i will have more of a reaction in the moment than you will that is true 
But yeah, we, we find out in this episode that Kenda Malone absorbed her fraternal male twin in the womb, which uh, basically made her a chimera. Thank you. I was trying to think of the name of that condition when we were recording our short episode and it mm-hmm. escaped me. But yeah, a chimera. Yep. Which we actually heard about in the um, stem cells panel that we went to at Dragon Con. Mm, that's right. Because mm-hmm. he was actually the, the guy who was conducting the panel. I was talking about how mothers of male children will actually be chimeras because they share a bloodline. Right, blood sure, supply. Blood, blood supply, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, so because of that, we'll have some male genetic material still floating around, essentially, after giving birth. So mm-hmm. that's the technical term for it. <laughs> still floating around. That's what it's called. <laughs> I'm, now I'm just imagining these little these little cells like on a little blow-up rafty thingy with a cold beer. Just kind of like, yeah, nice. <laughs> I will repeat, because I feel I don't say it enough, I am not a scientist. <laughs> In case that was not clear. <laughs> but speaking of science things that we are fuzzy on and would love clarification, if somebody more knowledgeable than us can clarify, we got an email from Francie, who articulated some of what is is making this reveal a little difficult for me to wrap my head around. Do you want to read what uh, Francie said? Sure. Francie says, when Sarah first saw Charlotte, she knew that Charlotte was a Lita clone because Sarah looked the same when she was a little girl. Hence, I assume Kendall must have looked like them as well. And if so, it doesn't make any sense that Mrs. S was surprised to see her mother. She must have seen pictures of Kendall as a young or younger woman. But maybe my assumption that Kendall has looked the same is simply wrong. I really don't know. This is kind of random. And I really don't know. I'm, I'm asking now. Would the fact that Kendall is a chimera... Would that change anything, do we think? If they separated out the the genetic material? Right. I guess possibly. I, I think it would depend on where the different genetic lines were expressed, I guess. I, I'm not entirely sure how chimerism works, if that is, in fact, the noun form of such things. I, oof, yeah. Science people, help us. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, obviously. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there as, mm-hmm. as, as something that, you know, could potentially be different. I don't know, though. Right. Because, yeah, I have this question, too. Why would Kendall Malone look different than the Lita clones? Would it be possibly the synthetic sequences? Would those have any effect? I mean, I don't know. And this is less a good answer to this particular question, because the show is going with the more or less the conceit that clones are going to be identical to each other in looks. And that is not what science suggests. In fact, for ex- just look, Googling, I put our clones always and then it filled in for me identical <laughs> in looks. And one of the results that came up was actually from the FDA. And it's on like their myths about cloning page. And the myth is clones are always identical in looks, and their answer is not necessarily. In fact, many clones have slight variations in coat color and markings. So they're talking about animals here, <laughs> not people. <laughs> From all the evidence gathered about human clones, they did not come up with an, an answer. <laughs> Let's think about the identical twin calves again, which they've mentioned apparently before on this page. They have the same genes, but look a little different. That's because of the way those genes are expressed. That is how the information in that gene is seen in the actual animal. For example, if they're Holstein cows, the pattern of their spots or the shape of their ears may be different. Human identical twins also have the same genes, but because those genes are expressed differently in each person, they have different freckle and fingerprint patterns. So for humans, they're saying the the changes can be a bit more minute. Probably if you're a looking at two identical twins, you're not going to notice freckle patterns being different exactly. But at the same time, if you have seen identical twins, you can usually tell them apart. There are very few sets of identical twins that you can't eventually distinguish like, oh, you know, Craig, he has slightly bigger ears than Chris or something like that. Right. So we are going from a bit of a conceit that all clones necessarily look alike. But I think that is a good question uh, because they do have the the Lita clones and the Castor clones looking very much alike in this this science fiction version of human cloning. So 
what does that mean that Mrs. S, it never really occurred to Mrs. S like, oh, Sarah looks a lot like my mother did when she was younger in pictures that I've seen. Right. And there's a whole issue. There was a picture on Kendall Malone's dresser, too. So assuming that was Kendall Malone. But I think the fact that she is a chimera, I think that does potentially raise a a, a decent reason as to why she might have looked different. But again, not a scientist. Not sure. I'd love to have input from people who might know better than we would. Shall we talk about Caster? Since we just talked about the Caster original. Yes. I'm pleased. Stephanie is pleased. Because Rudy is glitching. And therefore, a ticking time bomb. Die, Rudy, die. <laughs> but how do you really feel, Stephanie? <laughs> I know. I'm very, very subtle about my opinions in regards to Rudy, but... You hide hide it so well. <laughs> I'll try to be better. I'll try to be better and more expressive, Chris. Uh, okay. Uh-oh. So Stephanie's pleased about it. I am worried about it because to me, it seems like, couldn't this just make him more reckless and more dangerous? Absolutely. No, I, I see absolutely the risk of that. But I'm just still floating on the idea that he's not long for this world that just is making me so happy that it's it's you know making my worry it's reducing my worry it's keeping the worry from creeping into my mind at this point okay that's fair i mean rudy's terrible (laughs) he will die and i will say deserved it but Mm -hmm. you know i still would enjoy it if that young woman that he patty patty thank you if patty was somehow involved in his demise but i'll take being killed by whatever prion disease is getting the the caster clones. That's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Don't get me wrong. I am also considering the possibility that he won't die, that there'll be some sort of... No! <laughs> deus ex machina, last minute, they'll find a way to stop the disease. Well, okay, because I recognize also that my rooting for, for Rudy... My rooting for Rudy? That just sounds weird. My rooting for Rudy to die is... Not disconnected from the fact that the Lita clones, my beloved Kasima, is suffering from the same disease and is also seems to be potentially deteriorating quickly. So there's that. But we don't want to talk about that. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to stress cry now. I'm sorry. It's all I do. It's fine. So watching the, the scene where they determined that Rudy is glitching... My dad mentioned that the caster glitch test thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, reminded him of a test that's apparently given to androids in Blade Runner. It's been a while since I've seen Blade Runner. I still have not seen it. I need to watch that movie. So I didn't really remember it, but I'll have to watch it again, I guess. I will say I did. I thought it was effective that the fact that the original was a chimera made Mrs. S have to consider her decision about whether to kill the person or not. Mm-hmm. I liked that part of it. I just don't understand why she had to be her mother, too, writers. I just don't understand. <laughs> Give it time, Stephanie. Give it time. Okay. I'm trying. <laughs> but yeah, I, trying. I, I really liked that, too, that it's the same source. That was that was a good twist, writers. Mm-hmm. I gotta give that to him. Sarah wants Mrs. S... This is like a Delphine challenge here, right? She wants Mrs. S to to love all of them. And I feel like Mrs. S does. Mrs. S mm-hmm. really has seemed to take all of the chickens under her wing. Yeah. But she has in the past shown her tendency to act in what would be best for Sarah and or, and especially Kira. Right. So the fact that probably, most likely, killing her mother wouldn't affect Sarah in an adverse way. But Sarah stops her and is like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is this is Cosima's cure, too. Yep. But, I mean, what happens to Kasima does kind of affect Kira, because that was the concern, right? If Kira's willing to give up bone marrow and teeth and whatever to help Kasima, I think that maybe has also further put Mrs. S in, in this position of needing to also help, right? Mm, that's a good point. Just saying. Shall we talk about Helena and the Hendrixes? Yes, please. Move on to something a little happier. A little happier? How about a lot happier? How about super delightful and Donnie and plus Helena equal BFF forever? Like, I I really enjoyed them. 
I enjoy that this story concludes or rather climaxes in a bloody massacre, <laughs> what we assume is a bloody massacre. And we're like, this is the best, happiest part of the episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let's talk about it. It was so awesome. Because it was. <laughs> Helena killed people. It was so adorable. It was just so Helena. <laughs> oh, somebody on Tumblr pointed out that uh, the jacket that Helena is wearing. Yeah. Either is the same or looks very, very similar to the jacket that Allison was wearing when Ainsley died. Mm. Poor Ainsley. I think it was the same jacket because that was Allison's jacket that we'd seen before that in season one. Mm-hmm. But I didn't remember it being worn in that particular instance. But I, I think they're right. I think it is. I mean, there were, there was a picture. It, again, is either the same one or it looks very, very similar, like a white poofy mm-hmm. jacket. Yep. And I apologize. I thought what she had on her head was the hood of the jacket, but you're right. It was a hat. I know. Okay. (laughs) I'm just correcting myself. Okay. I was wrong. I thought it was the hood, but it's a hat. An awesome hat. An awesomely ridiculous hat. We all know Helena likes the furry furry things. Yes, around her face. Was that Donnie's hat? I feel like we've seen that hat before. Okay, it was Donnie's hat. When they pull up to the garage, Donnie takes the hat off. Okay, and then she puts it on to cover her hair. Got it. Yes. It was a bit of convenience there. Otherwise, she probably would have just pulled up the hood, but yeah. Yeah. And puts on lipstick, and oh my god, that just that shot of her through the peephole is fantastic. <laughs> the expression that she has as she's trying to be Allison. I know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of Allison, but it's not Allison. <laughs> I just, I like how not very good Helena is at accents. <laughs> well, you know. It makes sense, though, because she speaks in accented English, and she's trying to right. pretend to be people who speak English natively. I like. I also saw a comment on, I'm pretty sure it was on Tumblr, that even even with all of that, Helena's Allison was still better than Cosima's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. No, Kasima, she did not put any effort into that. I love you, Kasima, but that was not good work at all. <laughs> well, she's never done it before. <laughs> it's not really her thing. No, no. <laughs> oh, Helena, though. So the charming underwear fight with Jenna turned into somewhat disturbing karate lessons? <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I feel like... That's actually really good advice, even though it's horribly inappropriate. I Don't get me wrong. I know it's it's inappropriate, but it's good survival skills. Like, I feel like young people, maybe not that young, but <laughs> it's good information to have, right? Like, if something horrible happens and you get attacked, here's how to successfully defend yourself. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I remember being fairly young and being excited when I was watching a TV show because whoever it was, I believe it was Mrs. Peel on The Avengers, was using her thumbs to gouge somebody's eyes because he was, like, the dude was killing her. Or trying to. I was going to say, if he was actually killing her, he probably couldn't gouge his eyes very effectively. No, no. But I mean, he was, like, trying to choke her out or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she went for his eyes. (laughs) Because for some reason... During one point of my life, I was often yelling at the TV, like, like, couch out his eyes, <laughs> or go for his eyes. <laughs> because, well, because nobody ever did. And it's like, that doesn't make sense if they're trying to kill. Anyway. <laughs> People are very concerned about me right now, you right? You have a darker side to you, Chris, than I realized. But you knew Helena's basically my favorite, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I feel a kinship with Helena occasionally. <laughs> But no, I mean, it's not not an everyday situation, Stephanie. Just like in, in you know, life-dependent situations, I, I feel like this is something people should know. Throat punch and eye gouge. Come on. <laughs> a kick to the groin, also. Yes. Good idea. A kick or a knee to the groin, also a good idea. Right. Man or woman, it just hurts. Go for the soft spots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephanie's just too stunned to even go on. <laughs> but that was that was great, even though it was disturbing to see Helena giving Gemma fighting advice. But I, Gemma was 
I loved her reaction to that. Like, I don't think I'm oh my, allowed. I don't think I'm allowed. <laughs> so precious. And then, of course, we got the great scene of Helena dancing around and singing again to oldies, because apparently that's all they listen to in the convent in, in Ukraine. <laughs> Super sunshine hit. <laughs> I know that was the other song, but still, it makes me happy. But yeah, it was so adorable, that entire scene. What was she mixing, do we think? I first thought it was granola, but... It looked like granola, but I, yeah. I think it might be oats for something. Yes, yeah, uh, Susan, my, my partner, she makes soap. And honey and oats are things that you would put in bath soap. Mm-hmm. So it was probably some sort of honey oat soap or, or other bath product. Sounds right. Honey is very good for your skin, especially if you have acne problems. Mm-hmm. 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 Then the Helena story intersects with the Donnie story because Donnie really messed things up last episode by provoking Jason. Yeah, he really did not think that through at all. Clearly. And but in a way, it, I'm kind of glad that it didn't work out that well for him. And we have this similarly as well. When when Donnie tries to strike out on his own, things don't go so well for him. He needs he needs a good woman by his side to to help him navigate these sticky situations. And Allison is distracted right now with with running for school trustee. So Helena steps up and calls him out on running into a post made of fists. <laughs> So, I, yeah. I love when she scared the crap out of him by just lurking in the doorway. <laughs> I'm just absolutely delighted having Helena in Allison's world. It is totally one of those things that writers are just like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing to do. Because you have somebody who just is completely foreign plopped into this world. And it's she's just so odd and awkward. It's great. They should be proud of themselves because this is amazing. <laughs> it's everything I never knew I wanted. <laughs> and the fact that the the composer Trevor, I still don't know if it's Yule or Yuli, I don't know. But the music is is great and they sort of intermingle the the Helena screech. <laughs> and not even the screech, but just Helena's theme music with the Hendrix theme music and mm-hmm. it's it's great. The capery jaunty Hendrix music, which is usually like, oh, something wacky's gonna happen. Screech, screech, screech. <laughs> <laughs> but we had not had a scene this season of Helena covered in somebody or her own blood yet, so we got that. Check mark on the list. Well, she was covered in her own blood a little bit in uh, episode six. No, five. She She cut her back, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, but more like after battle, covered in blood type of thing. Okay, that's fair. And we also, it felt like at least, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt like we might have gotten a conclusion to the Donnie and Allison being drug dealers storyline. I hope so. Get get out of the business. <laughs> you too. Uh, get well to get it. Which I good. think would be, would be wise, because I, I don't particularly want... Orphan Black to turn into Orphan Black plus weeds inside of Orphan Black. And I don't think it's very, it would have been very practical or feasible for them to continue on with that for very long. I feel like they just were in way too deep, especially once they reached out to to Pouchy. Right. We got a message on Twitter from SK Queen saying that uh, Donnie's prints are on the tubs at Pouchy's garage, which, of course, is a crime scene now. So, like, it could be the end of the story, but it doesn't have to be, is basically what I'm getting at here. Yeah, let's hope Donnie's fingerprints are not in any systems. Oh, good point. Yeah, because they have to have something to match it to. If he's never been fingerprinted for, at least in the United States, if he's never been fingerprinted for, like, a government job or... Or some other job, some some professions do require you to be fingerprinted. I was fingerprinted once because I worked for the U.S. Census Bureau. So my prints are on file. I tell you, I did that. And then I was like waiting for that phone call from a police detective saying, we found your print at a crime scene from three years ago. Do you want to tell us about this, ma'am? It didn't happen. But <laughs> <laughs> did, did you not get printed at all getting your driver's license? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But just like, I think just my thumb and my finger. Okay. So not... All my fingers were printed. I'm just saying, they, they do have some prints on file for that. Yeah, they do. So, But yes, good point. 
But as far as like all your fingerprints, those are usually unless you've gotten arrested before or if you have some sort of job that requires you to be fingerprinted. I think also like if you're a dealer in a casino to get bonded, like you have to get fingerprinted. There are certain professions, but Interesting. I don't know that we know that Donnie has had his fingerprints taken by some sort of criminal justice authority. Well, but my concern is Pouchy had that bag with Allison's button on it. Good point. So there was a tie that way, or at least a a clue. We don't know. Maybe maybe Helena put it in the bag with all the cash. But but at the same time, she is running for election. So if they came to... Right. It's not ask- impossible. Yeah. That she would have just given it to him as like, oh, I thought he was a potential supporter. Mm-hmm. So it's a good point that his fingerprints are on the bins there, especially since... Hopefully they took the labels off. But no, didn't they show the stupid purple drank label on the in this episode? I don't remember if... It seems like they did, yeah. <laughs> but maybe I'm thinking of the previously on. Because I know that they... In the previously on, they showed the bins and they were labeled there. But I don't remember if we saw them still being labeled here. I think so. It'd be difficult, but his fingerprints being on the bin doesn't necessarily convict him. But he's been other places there, too. Chair and things like that, so... Who knows? That could come back to haunt them. It's true. Mm-hmm. But Helena took the murder weapon, I think, so. Mm, yes. <laughs> the not machete, but but ostensibly a machete. Unless they hooked up a real machete to that paper cutter. They might have. It, it doesn't look like the the blade on the paper trimmer I've got, so. It looks. But it's Canadian. More machete-like. <laughs> You're saying that Canadian paper trimmers are more badass than U.S. paper trimmers? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Because Canada is known for its aggression. Well, you might have to defend yourself against a a random angry moose or something. A moose, beavers, you know? Mm. You never know. The Canadian geese. Mm. They're hostile, right? Well, Canada goose are. I've never encountered a Canadian goose. I want to know your take on a particular line that Donnie says, because after Donnie finds out about Pouchy having uh, Helena's embryos, he says he makes a dad decision for the family, and you're part of it now, which goes, oh, Helena's part of the family. That's sweet. But he's prompted to say this because I think Helena says, well, what about Allison? And he essentially says, we don't need to tell her. I'm making a dad decision. What did you think he was getting at with that line? It kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but maybe I'm just not hearing it right. Uh, See, it didn't really bother me because I I felt like he's just like, well, I'm a parent too, so I'm going to take this upon myself. I don't know. It didn't necessarily bother me. I can see why it would. but The way I heard it was that he was trying to be all, I'm the patriarch of this family, I don't need to consult the little woman. And that's just wrong, Donnie. (laughs) Well, see, I didn't hear it that way, because everything else we've heard from Donnie lately is not about that at all. Aside from confronting Jason Kellerman. Right, which is why it struck me as strange. He's been a little bit more trying to assert his, I don't know, presence, I guess, in the Hendrick's household this season because he's been threatened by Jason, I think. So the line just struck me as a little bit odd. But I'm willing to believe that he meant more, I'm a parent too, I understand, so I'll help you. I like to think that's what it was. Because, I mean, what follows that is they're at the garage and Donnie finally has to tell them what is in the container. And then, of course, Pouchy makes some comment about shooting blanks and whatever and and donnie's just kind of like like yeah yeah like he doesn't get offended at all he's just he just rolls with it mm-hmm. which i think is significant because we as the audience know that it's actually allison who's infertile mm-hmm. so he very well and and honestly could have said well actually it's not me it's my wife but he doesn't feel the need and just sort of lets it roll off his back it it, it reminded me of the the line that he had last week about I may be a bitch, but I'm Allison's bitch. He just, right. he seems comfortable in the the fact that people perceive him a certain way, but that's okay. He's like, whatever, it's fine. See, and, and the combination of those two things are why I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on the dad decision line. Mm-hmm. Why I'm more inclined to think that he's like, you know, I'm a parent too. I'm, 
you know, I'm I'm gonna look out for you, you know? I saw that was a strange way to phrase it. <laughs> Maybe. But still, it was nice. And it paid off for him because Donnie has now made a friend for life. Yes, and you want to get on Helena's good side. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but Ksenia Solo tweeted something like, Hey, can I get in on this Donnie Helena buddy circle? I think is how she phrased it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, you should, because Shay is in danger. <laughs> I know. Shay could use Helena as an ally. She totally could. Speaking of. <laughs> yes. Like my segue? See how I worked it in? <laughs> I like that. I was I was going to go more with, like, I'm feeling a little terrified. We must be about to talk about Delphine. That works, too. Because, uh, so terrifying in this episode, Delphine. The thing is, like, we see her and she's, she looks gorgeous. Oh my god. How? She's all yes. super foxy. Super foxy. And then she whirls around in the chair. She's, she's so cold this episode. The entire episode. <sighs> and frankly, the, the coldness is kind of ruining it for me. Mm, yeah. I just don't know how to feel about Delphine anymore. Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping for some insights into why she has taken this path. I'm hoping we're getting it in the finale. I would think so. I'll be I'll be very frustrated if we don't get something in regards to Delphine in the finale. I think we will. So do we think that Kasima made the right decision asking Delphine for help in regards to Shay? This is a question I still have, because it's one of those things, obviously it didn't work out so well, but then it's like, well, what... If Shay had been a threat, who would who should she have gone to? You know, what should she have done? I still don't know. Yeah, we talked about it in our short episode where we as the audience members, when we saw that conversation between Kasima and Scott saying, oh, it has to be Shay. She knows XXX. We as the audience members thought, oh, it's not. It wasn't her. But I do think that was not an illogical conclusion. Mm-hmm. So I think that Kasima was, was being practical in considering the possibility i really do yes but then it's like to because she fully jumped to a conclusion though Mm -hmm. is the thing and then went to delphine with it and yeah i i don't know but what else should she have done that's what i'm getting stuck on i guess right she could have i guess tried to go to talk to shay herself but yeah i just don't know what else she would have done besides Ask Delphine for help. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced, though, that she imagined Delphine would do what she did. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of wish that maybe Kasima had said, Delphine, will you help me deal with this and wanted to be present? <laughs> Ra- you know, rather than the deal with this for me and more like, I need help handling the situation. Will you come with me? I kind of wish that that had played out that way because I think it would have played out differently. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. So then the other question is, what does all of this mean for Shay Sima? Or Shay and Kasima, if you don't like portmanteaus? <laughs> because I don't I- think Shay knew that Kasima was involved at all, because she said something like, oh, this is why Kasima was acting so weird. It's because you've gone crazy. But at the same time, how understanding and magnanimous can Shay be? Because... Even if she didn't blame Kasima for what happened, the fact that being in Kasima's life is attracting this woman to come to her house and threaten to kill her and make it look like a suicide, that would make me want to say, I'm sorry, but this just isn't going to work out between the two of us. And that's a good call. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll also find out next week. So you think you think it's over? I do. Okay. Do you do you think you think it's not? I don't know. I guess it depends on where this is going from here. Because it seems like there's still more story to tell with Shay. Mm. They've dropped hints about things. I I don't think it's what people thought it was. <laughs> right. But there's still, like, there are hints that there's something else there story-wise. So I don't know. Right. Because we had the picture of her being in the military. And there could be a completely non-suspicious reason for that but there is potential that there could be more to her than we've seen so far for sure 
And I love Ksenia Solo so much. And I really like her on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if Kasima and Shay are no more, I would love for her to stick around in some capacity on the show. Because I just, I think she's a dynamite actress and I like her a lot. Yep, me too. And they've also dropped hints in this episode, something about how, you know, it was suspicious that she had that fancy apartment because mm-hmm. she's a holistic healer. How much money could she possibly make? And she's like, it's not your business. Right. How I have my money or how I pay for things. And Right. So again, I think there's something there that will be revealed, it seems like, to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I want to find out. Keep Ksenia Solo on the show. Please. Please, please. She can be friends with everybody. It'll be nice. <laughs> she can listen to all the weird stories that everybody has to tell her. <laughs> but damn it, Gracie. Damn it, Gracie. Mm. Damn it, Gracie. I understand, but I'm still mad at you. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> that These is people accurate. were kind to you. They took you in. <sighs> Damn it, Gracie. Helena forgave you for trying to kill her. But yeah, we knew something was up when she said goodbye to Helena. Of course. That was a huge, big red flashing arrows pointing at Gracie. She's not coming back. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Here's a question, because I don't think we talked about this before. When she called up Cosima to say goodbye, mm-hmm. were you worried about Gracie? In, re- in what way? I thought Gracie was going to do something drastic. Like kill herself? or Possibly. Mm. For some reason, that's where my mind went. Because she was I, just I- like, you've been so kind and thank you. And I was like, these goodbyes sound too permanent. And then I just I got worried because she seemed so sad and distraught the past couple episodes, I guess, is maybe why I was worried about it. I don't think I was worried she was going to do something drastic because I was thinking, and I think I said this while we were watching, that she was going to try to go find Mark. Mm, mm-hmm. Which she did, essentially, but she'd already found him. She just was getting picked up by the, the caster people. Right, you did mention that during the episode. And then I said, but how would she know where to go look for him? And so, yeah, we got those questions answered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it, Gracie. I guess... We still have the question as to how, because it sounded like they maybe got in touch with her. Mm-hmm. How did they get in touch with her? It's, yeah, I, don't I, know. I doubt she had a cell phone when she was on the Prolethean farm. That's a good question. Maybe somebody was following her. Hmm. Yeah, maybe they were. It wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility that they were maybe keeping an eye on Mrs. S's house. We know they know where it was because they were watching it at the beginning of season two. And maybe they saw her there. Quite possible. On Orphan Black, assume that everybody is being watched at all times. Right. <laughs> By somebody. But speaking of questions about Gracie, we got an email from Aaron who asks, Since when did Gracie know about the book? I get having Shay be innocent for a twist, but I don't remember when Gracie knew about the book in order to tell them Scott had it. I don't know how she would know Scott had it unless she was watching Cosima's and Scott's every move. I know the Clone Club talks, but I don't remember Gracie overhearing Cosima say Scott had the book after sh- the Shay incident. I can see her knowing about Sarah, obviously, but other parts don't make sense. They they didn't completely explain this, obviously. I'm pretty sure Scott's had it in his possession pretty much since Cosima took it out of Felix's place, right? Yes. At least that's the impression I got. That's the impression I had as well. And, uh... Yeah, they they never show us any point when Gracie could overhear them specifically say Island of Dr. Moreau, but they do show in episode eight, Gracie comes in while they're talking about the book. So yeah, they and, and they specifically have a shot of Gracie listening to part of their conversation, like as mm-hmm. she's going up the stairs, so... Yeah, and we're talking about the scene where she overhears Mrs. S saying that the caster boys are mayflies. And yeah, she that's pipes how up the scene ends. She, yeah, she pipes up and she asks, is Mark a mayfly too? So in that scene, it shows that Gracie was overhearing them have a conversation about the book. So it is feasible that she overheard more information than what we, we see being relayed in that particular scene. So they don't show directly her overhearing the information, but it strongly suggested that how how that could have happened, how she could have learned about it. Right. So yeah, nothing explicit, but enough to leave the door open, so to speak. 
I'll buy it. I'm not that once I remembered that scene, that settled that question for me because I was asking that. And I think I was the one who was even like, oh, there was that scene. <laughs> we should go back and check. And Chris went back and checked. Yep. Because I think they mention either Scott or Island of Dr. Moreau or something shortly before she comes in. But yeah, she came in and they were still talking about the book. So anyway, so random thoughts. Another question that a listener sent in from MW Tweet on Twitter they said, after their trip to London, I started wondering how Mrs. S and Sarah pay for their living. I have wondered this for a while, too, how <laughs> Mrs. S has income. Yeah, we don't know. I think we can assume that Sarah, that Mrs. S paid for Sarah and Felix to go with her. It's possible I could see that Felix would have some money. Mm -hmm. Mrs. S, I mean, she was involved in not particularly legal activities for a lot of years. Perhaps she has a good amount of savings from that time period. And as far as we knew, up until the series started, that's what Sarah was doing also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Illegal things is what I'm saying. Right. I can imagine Mrs. S might have had, might have stored up some money so that she could live under the radar. Right. When we know she was taking care of... Ethan Duncan. So it's possible that whoever set that up was also, you know, funding her, uh, at least in part. I mean, I don't know. But I think our best guess is her, her less than legal activities <laughs> are what have what have gained her her income over the years. Mm -hmm. Because we've never heard mention of her going to work or anything like that. And no one knew that she was essentially fostering Kira for Sarah, so it's not like she was making money for being a foster parent. Yeah, I mean, it's possible she did some sort of, you know, work from home or something. Yeah. There are there are possibilities, but we don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. She could work from home in some capacity. She's secretly a graphic designer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can use the internet, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> So we got an email from Tom saying, Ferdinand's reappearance wasn't surprising, but what happened with Felix? When Ferdinand talked with Delphine and said that he had something that would neg negate her hold because of Helsinki, was it that he had grabbed Felix? After the text message to Sarah, he isn't seen anymore. I think what was being implied there as to what leverage he had over Delphine was that he saw Sarah in London. And that and Delphine admitted she knew that Sarah was in London, right? Yes, because remember back in episode one, the whole reason he came to Topside was to see that Rachel, or excuse me, came to Dyad, was to see that Rachel was still in place and to see Sarah Manning in, in custody. Presumably, Delphine has not told anybody in Topside that Sarah Manning is not in Dyad's custody. So the fact that Sarah was walking around London was a big red flag that he could he could use as leverage for her. Right. I agree. That said, it's true that we don't see Felix after he sends the message. So he could theoretically have taken Felix hostage. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not, too. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But since he does mention in that conversation the fact that, you know, guess who I saw in London? Sarah Manning. I believe that's what he's referencing. Yeah, me too. In that conversation. Yep. We didn't get a Rachel update. <laughs> update, please. <laughs> I'm wondering if we're going to see her again this season or if they are going to tuck her back into the shadows and she will reemerge however she will reemerge in season four. We shall see. As always. Another random thing. So Sarah is wearing a hat that we haven't seen before. Do we think Allison knit it for her? Oh, that would have been sweet. These are the things is, I think about. <laughs> is that a hat that Allison would have knit? It is possible, yes. <laughs> I believe that Allison would have knit that hat. Okay. To clarify on my knitting comments from back in episode <laughs> seven, I, I actually was not meaning to imply that I thought Allison had knit the entire hat, but rather that she had attached the little pom-poms. Oh. But Chris also clarified that uh, pom-poms are a pain to make and or attach. So. It's not, I mean, it's not horrible, but it's... Not the easiest thing, necessarily. I find it to be a pain, but... Like, it's kind of fun, but a pain also. <laughs> but 
but you were just amusing me with your no that's way too tight that would have taken forever do you know how many stitches are in that hat that i didn't correct you in your assumption so oh (laughs) you were humoring my humoring my my knit rant i was (laughs) because it was cracking me up okay fair enough we also got an email from Natalie who brought up something that I have been wanting to say, but I haven't said because I didn't want to sound stupid. <laughs> okay. But, but here's what Natalie said. So, full disclosure, I'm a scientist and I worked for several years at a biotech company that develops DNA sequencing technology. So the whole time I've been watching Orphan Black, I've, one, been waiting for one of those sequencers to show up in the background at Dyad, and two, been asking over and over again why they haven't sequenced all the Lita Lita clones' genomes. If Sarah and Elena have some variation that explains why they are fertile, slash don't develop the epithelial prion disease, it should be fairly easily to distinguish by comparing the Sarah slash Helena genome to Cosima and Allison's genome, or at least they could narrow down the possibilities. I have been wondering this, too. (laughs) I have other questions in relation to that. Like, why Cosima can't receive a gene therapy treatment from Sarah's bone marrow, though you said that in the previous episode she makes some comment about, well, it doesn't work that way or something like that. Yeah, there's a whole exchange with Sarah, and Sarah says – Sarah kind of offers, and Cosima says something like, yeah, well, it doesn't really work that way. But she doesn't she doesn't expand on that, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. For I am not a scientist. But if the whole thing is we need to figure out the synthetic sequences and how this works and develops the prion disease, yeah, why haven't they compared it to Sarah and Helena, who at the very least the synthetic sequences didn't work properly for them? Even if they're and they may not even be in there at all. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still fuzzy on that. But I've been asking that too, Natalie. (laughs) She also sent along a screen cap of an article that was talking about a a potential explanation as to why Sarah and Helena are resistant to the prion disease that they have found, at least since 2009, it's been known of one genetic variant that protects from prion diseases. So that was also interesting to to read that little screenshot. So thank you, Natalie, for, for forwarding that along. And we also got this voicemail from Kat. Hey, Chris and Stephanie. It's Kat. Um, I'm Jeffrey O'Kane on Tumblr, and I'm a different cat than the one that sends you lots of other messages, but I've talked to you guys before. I loved the most recent episode of your podcast and of Orphan Black, of course, especially Helena getting to be Allison. And I just had a question for both of you. When you guys are watching the show, I know sometimes you watch with other people, but are you the kinds of people who like to be really quiet while you're watching? Or do you like, do you talk through it or do you analyze later? Or do you sit down and talk about it after the show? I know I, when I'm watching Orphan Black, I like to have absolute quiet from other people, but then I talk through it anyway. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you guys like when you're watching it? I thought it would be interesting to hear. And thank you very much. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thanks for sending that in, Kat. Uh, to answer your question, we are the everybody be silent <laughs> type of watchers. But then also, if there's something that will prompt an exclamation, we will also exclaim. <laughs> I'm a bit of a jerk when I watch. I'll admit it. Because I, I really want silence, but I will exclaim things if I feel the need to exclaim things. But if somebody else talks, she will shush them. Well, Yeah. Most of the but time. But it seems like when other people talk, they don't do it at convenient moments. I try to exclaim at convenient moments. <laughs> there there are lulls in conversation. You can tell when it would be a good time to say something. Like a little scene change. There's exactly. usually a couple Establishing seconds when shot. nothing's happening. Yeah. But mostly we talk during the commercials. Yes. If we're mostly talk. we talk during commercials. I'm probably the worst shusher. But you shush your dad. I don't shush your dad. I do. That's not my role. You can shush your dad, but I won't. (laughs) Well, he's chatty. I shush my partner. She probably doesn't like that. I'm sorry, Susan. (laughs) So I hope that answers your question, Kat. I've been more exclaimy. There we go. That's a word. Sure. I've been more exclaimy. It is what you've been doing. Yes. Particularly when Rudy is on screen, like in this episode where- She gets very angry. (laughs) 
in this episode where they were establishing that she, he was starting to to lose it and maybe and have symptoms of the prion disease, I exclaimed, "Good!" <laughs> I'm heartless. I'm heartless. I think at some point earlier this season, Rudy showed up, and you. you I'm pretty sure there was some sound. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it might have been like a. Ugh. It was some. You. It was a disgruntled sound, is what I'm getting at here. Well, and both when when he and Dr. Cody appeared after the explosion, I said, oh, hell. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I live tweeted that. Yep. So I do exclaim, but generally I try to be quiet. (laughs) Slash want want other people to be quiet. (laughs) Mostly she wants the rest of us to be quiet. (laughs) I just don't want people to talk over potentially important sentences. Well, same here. (laughs) Same here. Luckily, though. You have DVR technology at your house, so we can jump back a few seconds if need be. Yes. I think we did that once. <laughs> anyway. But thank you for that question. That was that was a fun question. If We would be curious to hear how, how other people watch Orphan Black. I'm not always a shh washer, watcher, but for Orphan Black, I definitely am. Well, you kind of have to be. Yeah. They're dense episodes. It's easy to miss something important. Exactly. And we're super attached, so, like, it matters what happens. At least those are my rules. (laughs) We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode of Orphan Black. You can go and leave a comment on our show notes at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 80. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line, like Kat did, 972-514-7223. Or you could record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us. We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we are also on Facebook. And in this episode, the identical twin calves were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs>